Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. We're glad to have a Bible program on the air that emphasizes the Bible. And as we've said many times, you're welcome to call in, express your opinion, what you think the Bible teaches. When we have an issue, there may be some disagreement, but the way this program works is the Bible is going to be the authority, the standard so whatever the Bible says about that issue, that's going to be what's right. It won't matter what I think, what you think, even what we want it to be. Wishful thinking doesn't get it when, it's talk, when we're talking about the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the truth is settled by God's word. After all, it's inspired, in effect, written by God. Anything I might say that disagrees with the Bible doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Call in with your question or comment. We'd be glad to hear from you at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Last week we were talking about 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, which reads this way. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. So God, through his divine power, has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And we were talking about some of the things that he's given us. For example, he's, giving us, he's given us his word, the Bible. Uh, we just quoted John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them through thy Truth, thy word is truth. So God's given us the truth through his word. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Bible is the thing we look to for doctrine, for religious instruction, etc. It makes us complete as a Christian. We don't need anything else such as the Pope or church tradition as a standard of truth. You know, the second thing we mentioned last week, something that God has given us that pertains to life and godliness, and it's very important, is the forgiveness of sins through the death of Christ. Perhaps there's nothing more important than that. In Acts 2.38, Peter told some believers, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said he had shed his blood for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38, which we just read, Peter said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So the way both of those passages are true, the way the blood could be for the remission of sins and baptism for the remission of sins is that the blood of Christ washes away our sins when we repent of our sins and are baptized. I mean, it says clearly that we have to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, most people say that baptism is not necessary to the remission of sins, but Acts 2.38 makes it clear. The remission or the forgiveness of sins is another thing that God has given us through his divine power that pertains to life and godliness. We really need it. We've talked about how we need the Bible and we need the forgiveness of sins. And number three, the right to pray. The, the Bible teaches that we have a right to pray, and this is something that we take for granted. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. 
So we should take full advantage of the power of prayer. This doesn't mean we pray at every moment, but they, we pray regularly without stopping. Take full advantage, if you're a Christian, in the power of prayer. Now, this only applies if you're a Christian. If you haven't repented and been baptized for the remission of sins, like we just read, then you can't take advantage of this right to pray, one of the things that God has given us. Gomez from Pennsylvania. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Excuse me for this. This may sound silly to you, but uh, what, what did, to what extent, to what degree uh, is it in the, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jesus, when a man looks at a woman, and to what degree does it become a sinful nature when it becomes a, a natural uh terrible sin what degree is it how can you can you honestly look at a woman and see that she's beautiful and see that god created her beautiful and what does it mean and um instead i realize you're not supposed to fantasize and 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 constantly um i know about pornography but to what uh, forgive me for bumble stumbling to what degree (laughs) is it safe to to look at a woman honorably and see that she's god's creature and she's beautiful and, and and not I know you're not supposed to stare, but to what degree is it? I I, I work and other things. Go ahead, please. Forgive me. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Gomez. I'm gonna try to answer your question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop the call and then try to answer your question. Yes, thank you, sir. Matthew five twenty seven and twenty eight. The Bible says Jesus is speaking. He says, "You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman." To lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so not only is it wrong to commit adultery, it's wrong to lust after a woman other than your wife. And Gomez was asking, well, how far can you go, basically, is that talking about? Well, he said, could you look on a woman and appreciate her beauty? Yes, if you're not talking about lusting after her. We can recognize that a woman is beautiful, okay? Uh, but we cannot lust after her, and that means, in effect, to undress her in her mind, to fantasize about getting in bed with her. That's lusting after her, and that's a sin, according to Matthew 5.28. Now, that doesn't give the right of, uh, say, a woman to divorce their husband if he does that. No, the only right she has to divorce him is if he actually commits fornication. Adultery in the heart is not the same thing as actual fornication. And Jesus said this just about three or four verses later. Matthew 5.32, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. So any other reason, if we divorce our spouse for any other reason, we sin. It has to be for fornication. It can't be for fornication of the heart. Matthew 5.28, it can't be for drunkenness. All of these things are sins, fantasizing about getting in bed with a woman other than your wife. That's a sin. So is drunkenness. But these things are not sins that you can put away your spouse for. So I hope that answered Gomez's question without getting too graphic there. Andy from Kentucky, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just heard you say earlier about the remission of sins being not just the blood of Christ, but also through baptism. And I wanted to maybe ask a question about um, the thief on the cross, because my my perspective is that baptism is absolutely important, because like you said, the Bible commanded us to do it. 
However, I, I view baptism as so, sort of like when I put my wedding band on. Just the act of me putting my wedding band on doesn't make me married. It's the commitment that I've made which has made me married. And so what I wanted to ask you was, when Jesus told the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise because he had believed, wasn't it just the blood of Jesus that covered his sins there? Because if I recall, he didn't go get baptized. Now, Andy, you said, you said, wasn't it just the blood, but then you said the thief had to believe, right? Right. So it wasn't just the blood. It was the blood is what took care of the sins, but the you're saying that a person has to believe. So it's the blood plus belief, right? Absolutely. Okay. So the only difference between you and me is I would say a person also, besides having to believe, he has to repent of his sins and he has to be baptized. We just read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, that he has to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That doesn't take away from the fact that the blood of Christ is what saves us any more than saying that a person that a person has to believe in order to be saved. All that says is that the blood of Christ is what saves us. But when does it save us? Does it save us at the point of faith? Or does it save us when we believe and are baptized? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, regarding the thief on the cross, we've read Hebrews 9, verses 16 and 17 here before. It says, For a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. An analogy is being made here to a will like we have today. My parents wrote their will in the 1970s for us four sons to share the inheritance. But that will did not go into effect until both of them after both of them had died. And that's what Hebrews 9, 16 and 17 is saying. The will of Christ, the New Testament law, did not go into effect until after the death of the testator, after the death of, of, of Jesus. And so the thief on the cross, like Jesus, did not live under the New Testament law. He lived under the times of the Old Testament law, which did not require people to be baptized. The thief on the cross didn't need to be baptized. For the same reason, Adam didn't need to be baptized. For the same reason, Moses didn't need to be baptized. For the same reason, Abraham didn't need to be baptized. The Old Testament didn't require it. It's the New Testament that requires baptism. And that testament, that law that requires baptism, didn't come into effect until after the death of Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 9. 15 through 17, after the thief had been forgiven, after the thief had died. We read Mark 16, 16, part of the Great Commission. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That came many days after the thief was gone. Now, as far as whether a person is saved at the point of faith or at baptism, you'll remember that Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus to Paul in Acts chapter 9. But at least three days later, Ananias was sent to him to tell him what to do. And he told Saul, later became known as Paul, in Acts 22:16, And why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here we have Saul, Paul, at least three days after he believed in Christ, he's still in his sins, and he's told to be baptized to get his sins washed away. So the question is not, is it the blood of Christ or baptism that washes them away. It's the blood of Christ that washes them away. The question is, when? Does the blood of Christ wash away our sins when we believe? It evidently didn't with Paul, because at, three, at least three days after he believed, he's still in his sins. 
Or does the blood of Christ wash away our sins when we're baptized? Acts 22.16 says it happens when we're baptized. Acts 2.38 says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That confirms that. 1 Peter 3.21 says baptism doth also now saves us. That confirms it again. And Mark 16.16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. All the passages, every one of them that tell the purpose of baptism, tell us that the purpose of baptism is in order to get the forgiveness of sins. Yes, that's the forgiveness of sins paid for by the death of Christ. But baptism is a condition we have to meet in order to receive that forgiveness based upon the death of Christ, just like belief and repentance are. We cannot uh, rule out any of those conditions. We have to take everything that the Bible has to say. Daniel from North Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, thank you for taking my call, Patrick. Hey, I went to a very large church today in North Carolina over in Charlotte with a, with a friend and a family that I know really well. And I was talking with a friend of mine before we went to church, and I said, how often does your church do baptisms here? And he says, you know, a couple times a month, that type of thing. Well, today's message was basically all about the need to get baptized, but it, there was no urgency as in the fact that it's related to a requirement, basically, of your salvation. And, you know, if you take a look at, you know, Mark sixteen sixteen, I mean, you have to believe and be baptized to be saved. This is something I got from you over the last couple of years. And I've really looked into many, many different areas. And every time you see baptism, it's referenced that it's part of your salvation or the washing of sins, that type of thing. And so I, I told them that I'm an, an out-of-towner. They're actually doing baptisms tonight. I said, is there any way that I could possibly get baptized? Because I've never been baptized. I didn't think that I had to. I thought that was more of a function of being a member of a particular church or a group versus being just a believer. And they, you know, know you have to make an appointment. It's not, it's not a requirement of your salvation. And I, I said, you know, I, you know I'm, you're a learned man. I'm, I beg to differ with you. The Lord has placed a conviction on my heart that it's essential that not only do you believe, if you believe you have to be baptized, and then like related to 1616 and Mark, all that, you know, my study Bible even says that, you know, well, it's believed that you don't have to because it doesn't repeat it. Well, obviously it's not going to repeat it. If you don't believe, you're not going to go get baptized. So I spent several hours with my friends after church, and I went through just item after item and and listing all the different things related to baptism along these lines. And they're like, well, you know, yeah, it won't hurt you to get baptized, but it's not a condition of salvation. And I think it's it appears to me to be fairly obvious if you are a believer, you're going to get baptized, you're going to be submersed, you're going to go through that, and you're going to wash away your sins. I was wondering if you have, uh, you know, a much greater perspective on that and what you could empower me with as far as tools to communicate that to others because it was a real eye-opener for me. Daniel, I don't know if I could have said it any better. I especially like the detail you gave about why the second part of Mark 16, 16 doesn't mention baptism again because a person who doesn't believe is not qualified to be baptized. So when it says, He that believeth not shall be condemned, there's no reason to put baptism in there because a person that believes is not going to be baptized. He can't be baptized scripturally. That's exactly, you are exactly right in saying that, Daniel. Daniel, you still there? I'm listening. Let me mention one other point to you. You were talking about people waiting around for a baptismal service. And, 
And I'm not saying that when a person believes that there's a requirement, you've got to be baptized in one minute, five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. But the fact that they delay it like that is a pretty good indication that they're not baptizing people for the right reason. I'm looking at Acts 16, verse 25. It says that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Paul and Silas are in prison, and it says it's midnight. And then there's an earthquake, the prison doors open, and I think everybody knows the story that the jailer ended up believing in Christ. And in verse 33, it says he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. So this earthquake occurred after midnight. The jailer believed in Christ then after the earthquake, after midnight. And when he expressed his belief in Christ, they went and baptized him in the middle of the night right then. Why did they do it right then and not wait till the next day or a week from then or two weeks until they could get six or eight people? Because they realized what Peter said in, in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And when you realize that a person has to be baptized for the remission of sins, you're not going to delay the baptism because then you're taking a chance that the person might die in the couple of weeks you're waiting to do the baptismal service. You can pretty much figure out who's, got, who's baptizing for the right reason because when somebody says, I want to be saved, the person who understands what Jesus taught in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that it takes both, they're going to baptize them right then. They're not going to wait and take a chance on that guy dying before he gets baptizing, dying while he's still in his sins. Do you follow what I'm saying about the point with the jailer in Acts 16, Daniel? Completely, and that's the where I'm coming from. I drive a truck, and I, t- I said to the the number two pastor in the church. I met with the head pastor to ask the request, and I talked to the, he sent me over to the number two pastor, not any of the associate pastors, and I explained that very, I said, I could, I could die tomorrow, and I feel that I may not have completed the requirement that I would have now that I know, and I believe, and I have this conviction. I said, is there any possibility that I could wait and sit down and talk with you, because it's very difficult for me to be in some place that is performing a baptism and he said you know it, it's just not necessary you don't have to be in a rush and i mean this is their their, their fundamental belief and i I, w- I was just pretty amazed by that and i think there's plenty of information and the other thing is i'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer but i'm thinking you know if in doubt why would you not want to do it and my very point is these great big churches have all these missionaries and when they're out in the field and people convert and come to Christ, the very next day they perform a baptism before they leave. Why, if you're a member of a church or you're thinking of being baptized, why do you have to go to school and make an appointment and wait six weeks to be baptized if they're they're setting up the baptismal today? Daniel, here's why. Because most churches don't use the Bible as their guidebook anymore. I mean, we see this. How many churches today are starting to accept gay marriage and gay preachers? Right? You've gotten that? Some. Some. So yeah. they're not they're obviously not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore, are they? So they're not well, no, using the Bible. Not. I mean So they're not using the Bible as their guidebook when it comes to baptism either, and that's why they wait like that. Daniel, do you mind if I maybe I might call you later this evening after the program and we can talk more about this? How about that? Sure, Patrick. Thank you. You have my number? Okay. I'll try yeah, I got it. Uh, it starts with nine oh nine, right? Correct. Thank you, sir. 
I'll call you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Larry from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Patrick. Uh, this is Larry. And, uh, hey, I baptized quite a few people in my lifetime, but one particular lady pertaining to what you're talking about, uh, a lady named Cindy, and uh, I baptized her and another person in a lake here in Iowa, but uh, I baptized Cindy because she knew that she uh, – there was something missing, and I went over the scripture and explained to her just what you know about what you're talking about, Acts two thirty-eight, and then Mark sixteen sixteen, and a couple others, and and she accepted it really good, and so I baptized Cindy, and it wasn't it wasn't two weeks later, and Cindy passed away. Well, my comment is is it it can happen that way, and it does happen that way. We think, well, you know. That's just a far-out thing that never happens, so what's so important about it? Well, I go along with what you're saying. Uh, a person needs to know, though, what what's going on. Do you believe that, Patrick? Oh, yeah, they need to know that they're being baptized for sure. the remission of sins. That They need to know that. Uh, it'd be like, I parallel it, Larry, to Matthew 19.9, how that you have to divorce your wife for fornication. Or it's an unscriptural divorce. If you don't do it for the right reason, it's an unscriptural divorce. So if you don't get baptized for the right reason, for the remission of sins, it's an unscriptural baptism. It doesn't do you any good. Sure, sure, sure enough. Well, that's all I have, Patrick. Appreciate your program. Thanks for calling, Larry. Okay. Lester from Wisconsin, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, that was my comment, but I mean... uh but the, if you want to really nip this in the bud, uh, the Lord said that, I'm paraphrasing, but the Lord said you men would rather continue in their tradition and their teachings, their own teachings. And if you read uh, uh, the, about the Council of Nicaea and the history of baptism, you'll find that in the beginning there was baptism by submersion, and and in the name of Jesus Christ, or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, you know you're right, that, Lester. Even the even the Catholic Church yes. baptized believers, and they did it by immersion, and they didn't yes, start did. officially sprinkling folks to about 1300 A.D. according to these councils. So even yes. the Catholic Church in the beginning baptized believers and did it by immersion, and they changed. But we have no right to change away from what Jesus taught. Go ahead, Lester. That's right. And the, and another thing, uh, I was in the Marines, and I, I'm very well uh, acquainted with uh, taking orders from a superior. Now, now when someone, when the, when the, sergeant told me uh, to go and walk around the armory for four hours, and that's what I did. Uh, I didn't walk over there to the armory and repeat the command and just repeat the command. You realize how ridiculously stupid that would be. You do what the command says, and when Matthew, when Jesus talked about people need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, well... Instead of doing what the what, what he said to do, well, they go repeat the command. That's a command to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
He did not say, repeat this command when you baptize someone. Lester, we're going to let you go. Thank you for your call, Lester. Appreciate it. We've got to go off the air in less than a minute. We appreciate you, everybody listening tonight. We had a good, lively discussion, and that's the way this program works. People are uh, welcome to call in. Some expressed agreement with me, some disagreement. But what we're going to do is let the Bible decide the issue of whether or not a person has to be baptized to be saved or any other issue the Bible is going to decide. And Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Let me mention once again that if you would like to have a one-hour phone Bible study with me, I'm probably going to live too far away from you to come to your house, but if you would like to have a one-hour phone Bible study with me, of course it will be free of charge. I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. For a phone Bible study, 256-682-9753.